Dotnet Rocks, episode 1401, with guest Tom Kirkova. Recorded Thursday, January 12th, 2017. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, today I'm recording from the Falafel Software office. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's the old uh, Borland building you're in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm uh, hanging out with Lino Tadros today, uh, actually all week. And uh, he threw me in an office here at Falafel. And so it might be a little echoey. I apologize for that. It's not our usual quality, but I'm sure we'll have a great show. Tom Kirkova is here. We're going to have a great time with him. But first, Richard, you know, CES just closed its doors. This is January 12th that we're recording this. Yep. And a whole bunch of really cool things happened there. I didn't go, but I was watching it from afar. Lots of and dumb, too, though. Like, some of the stuff yeah, they did a lot was of really dumb. But yeah. you know what people kept sending me? Pictures of giant laptops. There was a laptop with a 21-inch <laughs> screen on it. Like, like I need a 21-inch screen laptop. Actually, I really do want a 21-inch screen laptop. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I found something for Better Know Framework that I think everyone's going to like. All right, dude. What do you got? All right. So, you know, USB sticks. Yep. So, USB key flash drives have been with us for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I thought 128 gigs was big. Do you remember when I had the gig that could fit up my nose back in the day? Yeah, that was the gig. Yeah, One gig that gig. fits up your nose. <laughs> I actually have a couple 128 gig sticks, wow. and uh, I use them to install Windows, uh, different <laughs> versions of Windows. Windows not that big. <laughs> yeah. And I also use them for uh, transporting shows. So if I record a show at the studio, I want to take it home and edit it. Right. For example, I'll just, or if I have a session. And those files wanted. are big. Yeah. Well, anyway, Kingston announced. A one terabyte USB 3 flash drive with a two terabyte version on the way. Oh, my God. A terabyte in a thumb drive. Yeah, that's right. That's insane. So, this being show 1401, if you go to 1401.pwop.me, you will see on Amazon the Kingston Data Traveler HyperX Predator one terabyte USB 3.0 flash drive for only... $2,700? Are you kidding me? $2,730, Richard. (laughs) Uh, Something tells me it'll be back-ordered. I guess they figure, you know, if you need this, you really need this. Well, because right beside (laughs) is the the half-terabyte one for $275, which is still an obnoxious place to pay for a USB key. Yeah. But it's a tenth what the terabyte is. I can't imagine. The two terabyte, they announced it at CES, but I don't see it on Amazon. Maybe it's available somewhere else, and I just can't, haven't found it. $20,000. Uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of storage, man. But, I mean, think about what happens when you have one terabyte, two terabytes on a USB stick. You basically have a bootable version of Windows that you can just carry around anywhere and run that, any you machine. You need 120 and gigs. That, that's been a, with us for a while with Windows. What is it? Windows Anywhere? Windows to Go, yeah. Windows to Go, yeah. yeah. But but it really hasn't been compelling until we've had these large uh, USB keys. Yeah. Now, you know, you could do this just fine on 128 gigs. 
but a terabyte that's crazy that's you know, your whole machine yeah but that yeah that's what i'm saying i mean a terabyte you can have your storage as well as your 128 gigs is okay for a little storage it's but, boot volume you know you can basically. have your music collection you can have whatever uh, i mean it's a pc you can just carry around in your pocket yeah i love it without the pc part without the pc part yeah this also gets to this philosophy of compute is everywhere just bring my identity yep that's right and my data right now yeah. with now you're bringing your flipping data as well it's crazy all right crazy that's, that's yep. you know one of the nutty things that came out of ces no two ways yep. about it that's right so who's talking to us richard grab your comment off of show 1255 the one we did with joe guadano uh back in february of 2016 Talking about Azure Application Insights, which I suspect we'll be talking about just a little bit today. Yeah. And this comment comes from Rune Jensen about a year ago. He says, I love Application Insights. We added App Insights to an existing ASP.NET Web API application, and we had an instant payoff since the dependency tracking, that the thing that tracks the database calls and the calls to mm-hmm. external resources, could show mm-hmm. us exactly what stored procedures in some cases, made our login very slow. Because it's always a database, man. It's always a database. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of notes, though. The application mentioned before uses user live data. So a single user makes a large number of requests during a session. So 15 million data points quickly becomes not a very large number. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> in the For the past 30 days, we have put 72 million data points into App Insights for that application alone. Wow. wow. Okay, so it adds up. The other issue is SignalR. I love SignalR, and we use it in another application where being able to push out updates is a key capability. To combine these two love interests of mine, we instrument that application with App Insights as well. But SignalR does not have a request scope in the same way that Web API does. And it kind of makes sense because it's just not going through the CLR the same way. So while there are hooks where the SignalR hub method starts and returns, and we used to track a hub method invocation, we cannot combine that with the hooks that any framework provides when it is executing a database call. This results in a situation where we have no way of telling the dependency event in App Insights that the request belongs to. So I get what you're saying here, Rune. You have the problem of you're getting the requests in and out of SignalR, and you're right. not able to easily correlate them with the requests that go through the database on the other end. Because the scope isn't mapped across the whole thing. And I think part of this is just that the way SignalR is not necessarily going through yeah. CLR when it's making its calls. It's all direct port communications. And that's an issue we've dealt with for years. You have these log files from different aspects of your applications. And you can't really correlate this log entry is related to that log entry in this other system. So, yeah, it's a challenging right. problem. Just saving data is not... The answer, yeah, I mean, you have to save it in a format where it can be easily retrieved and associated and made sense of. It's right. what you do with it that matters. It's not what you have, Richard. It's what you do with it. All right, is that where we're going today? <laughs> That's going to be this going to be that kind of day. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, room wraps up by saying, I do, however, still believe in the value of App Insights. is large enough that it outweighs the issues with using it with SignalR. Uh, yeah. yeah, and SignalR is a big pile of awesome, so you got to use that, too. It's just I get that it's yep. challenging to correlate that stuff together. Uh, it makes me wonder if there would be other tooling because, you know, instrumentation is powerful. Mm-hmm. Token passing, Rune. Stick a little token in all your SignalR calls so that you can map stuff together. Put it in the log file. That's there what we used go. to do in the old days. I'm just it's a good pulling start. Out, just pulling out my old gray hair knowledge. <laughs> uh, so, Rune, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NETrocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. 
And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. And send us a tweet. We open a special port for him. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think it's 443 because we don't want your mug to be encrypted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely 443. <laughs> All right. So, so let's welcome back to the show now Tom Kirkova. He works for Codit as an Azure consultant. He's a member of the AZUG crew, Azug, and has been a Microsoft MVP and Azure advisor since 2014. He turns coffee into scalable and secure cloud systems and writes about his adventures on his blog, tomkirkova.ghost.io. Welcome back, Tom. Hi, Richard and Carl. Thanks for having me back. You bet. Glad to have you here. Um, I didn't make it to the MVP Summit this year, so I don't know what was going on in the, uh, you know, going aside here. You've been into Connect and HoloLens and all of that stuff for a long time and been on the same group that I'm in. Um, was there any great stories and or anything great and new in, at the MVP Summit in that regard that we should know about? Well, the problem with Azure is Azure is that big that you don't have time for anything else yet. So mm. I uh, had to stop my Connect adventures a year ago to oh. stay ahead with Azure. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Well, you know, that's a good thing, actually. That means that there's more brain power going into Azure. What's uh, <laughs> What's new in Azure land? Well, what's not new? Um, yeah, no like kidding. Like I said, it, it's <laughs> hard talk to about keep a meatball. Up. And uh, go. <laughs> I just got an email from the goo, you know, or maybe it was one of his minions who sent out, you know, the what's new in Azure email. And it seemed like the list was a mile long. Like they're innovating so fast. It's so hard yeah. to keep up with what's going on. It's crazy. And of course, you really have to start picking services to keep up with because there's too many good stuff. And of course, we all know about Azure Insights if we use Visual Studio at all, because the the nag screen comes up all the time. Hey, how'd you like to add this to Azure Insights? And uh, <laughs> uh, that's so true. Yeah. Well, the problem with with big platforms is that there's a lot of moving pieces, and you need to know what's going on in your infrastructure and how your platform is doing. Right. So um, that's actually one of the hardest parts, as well as keeping track of which services depending on which other service. Yeah. Um, so those are the, the main issues they have nowadays, I think. Is there such a thing as a gigantic interactive service map where you can see the uh, dependency chain? <laughs> That's what I wish there was. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of people asking for that, but it, it's not there yet. And I hope they... They give it soon because it's really hard. You can create those nice resource groups with all your resources, but there's no way of finding out how they are connected to each other unless you document it yourself. That's the only way. I find myself keeping notes uh, yeah. just for the, the, the podcast stuff we have in Azure. Right. What's yeah. what pieces are run as radio? What pieces are .NET rocks? Like, because yep. it's a lot of different bits and pieces, and we haven't gone nuts. You know, the website's nope. not that busy. We're not scaling it out or anything like that. But right. just keeping track of that alone, there's just no mm -hmm. easy way to do it in the system. You've got to keep your own notes. I um, mean, yeah, a right. static version of that could be done in Prezi pretty easily. But the problem, of course, is when things change. Now you've got a lot of stuff to move around. It'd be nice to have 
you know, something like Prezi for a, a UI layer and, you know, have it pull the relationships from some data store so that they could yeah. actually just main, be maintained with a different app. I completely agree. And actually the, the OMS guys, so Operation Management Suite, released a new feature called, I think it's called Service Map, who, who, who maps the dependencies, but not for every resource in Azure, but more for like the real infrastructure guys. So a VM is depending on this and it gives a nice overview, but it doesn't cover everything. And it's actually something I want to see on the global scale of, of the platform. That would be really nice. I've done some shows on OMS over on the Run As Radio side because it, it is very an IT kind of tool. Um, mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where I look at it and go, Microsoft's a genius because it supports AWS. It works with Google's cloud. It works with Rackspace. Like, it's trying to give you an overview of every cloud service you're using. But I think even even in Azure, it falls down in some of the detail areas. Like you're trying to get down to the low level parts of what are all these bits and how do you instrument them? Exactly. Yeah. So um, getting back to Azure Insights for a minute, I, I imagine that anybody who's listening to this, the first question that's on their mind is, how deep of a rabbit hole am I going down when I click on that Use Insights button in Visual Studio? What am I signing up for? Application Insights is not the only service there is for monitoring. You actually have three of them, which is uh, Operation Management Suite, which we just discussed. Yep. It's like a more yep. uh, IT guy operation tool, which is very extensible. You have Azure Insights, which is uh, the central monitoring hub for Azure in general. So every metric, every alert and audit log for all the resources are gathered by the platform itself and provided to you with the monitor uh, blade. So that's one central place to view all those things. And then you have Azure Application Insights. So mm. Azure Application Insights is something you can use to monitor your, your own applications. So you yeah. can do it by configuration or use the SDK. Um, and it has a variety of traces. So, so when we're talking signing, about monitoring, th this covers a wide berth of categories of how of monitoring. I mean, it's not just monitoring the technical stuff, uh, not just monitoring, no. you know, how many hits and all of that stuff. But you know, for, there's a there's a way that a business can monitor how it affects the bottom line, um, performance, mm -hmm. of course, if it's available yep. or not, the health of it. Uh, take yep. us through those different scenarios exactly so if you run your application on azure those are uh, like you mentioned the types of monitoring you need to have in place so for starters there's a health and availability you need to know if your resources are still uh, available or if there's an outage you need to be aware of that uh, unfortunately there's no automated way to be notified of this but they have a nice status page so that's something you need to keep track of. For health, we need to know other resources performing like we want. Um, that can be an exception rate. Do we do a release and do we have a sudden exception spike by a, a bug we released? Yeah. Next to that, you also want to have application monitoring and business monitoring where the mm -hmm. difference is that 
um, application monitoring is more on a technical level to give the the developers insights on what is happening and what is causing the issues, but also from a business perspective where we want to know, for example, if an order was created for which customer, etc., etc. So yeah. typical yeah. business-related things specific to a scenario. Then last but not least, we also want to have monitoring to know how our platform is scaling. Um, is it uh, aggressively scaling up for some reason? Um, do we need to scale up, etc., etc.? Mm. So these kinds of monitoring need to be provided by you as a as a developer, along with your IT division, of course. But you can do that by a combination of OMS, Azure Insights, and Azure Application Insights. So it's not okay. just flipping a switch and you have the monitoring, um, which is not easy, of course. So you need yeah. to design this from the start. If you just think, yeah, we're finished, the only thing we need to do is add the monitoring on top of our infrastructure yeah, then you're a bit screwed, I think. Um, <laughs> it's a technical term. <laughs> you're going to yeah, die. Th that's a, a typical situation you can end up with. So the devs built the thing. They think, okay, we are about to release it and we need to give it to IT. But we yeah. forgot to add monitoring. Well, let's just add a few traces over here, over there, and give it to IT and they'll manage to fix it. Well, well they managed to to operate it. Well, uh, that's not a good thing if you ask me. Um, so what you can do to avoid those scenarios is um, involve your developers into yeah. the operation cycle. Um, make them uh, assignable for a support role once every couple of weeks so that if an issue comes in, they have to do the hassle of going through the monitoring, trying to detect what the issue is, getting all the information about the issue, trying to reproduce it, trying to fix it, and see if it if it's fixed in the end. And um, Every I time I've done doing, that with developers, they come out the other side saying, we need better instrumentation. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Every time. Yep. Exactly. And, it, and that's one of the best ways to learn how you need to monitor your applications, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and honestly, Azure Application Insights is a very nice service to do this um, because it has a variety of uh, telemetry types, let's say. So we have the typical trace, which we can use to write small messages from a te technical perspective. We can uh, use exception traces as well, where we just give it an exception and application insights will fetch the the stack trace all the typical exception information and keep track of that you can mm -hmm. also easily keep track of requests that come in uh, what the uri was all this typical request information they also have page views if you're building uh, a website and then one of my favorites is a metric, so you can measure things in your application um, and register it under a, a nice label. And that can be 
how long it takes to call another service, um, how long it takes to run a certain algorithm or whatsoever. Just mm -hmm. a typical metric. How long does it take? Nice. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix, an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. So question is that, you know, getting back to the, you know, what happens when I press the button, how much of this stuff do I need to build into my applications from a, a greenfield, you know, from the get-go? And how much of it can be added on to an existing application? Do I need to be doing things from day one with uh, application insights? No. In you, Azure Insights? You can add it uh, later on. You can do it by uh, just enabling it on your project and either use a, a configuration approach where you just configure it in your project or you can use the SDK to provide more fine-grained information okay. because then you are in charge of doing all the handling, all the telemetry, but that also means that it's more intensive. But I find that the, the best option. So if I have Google Analytics, you know, typically that tells me about, you know, who's visiting and how many hits and all of that stuff. I put a little JavaScript in my, in my code, but this seems like it's more backend monitoring, right? It's a little bit different. Yeah, you can use it for both, but uh, I think mainly, I'm not a front-end developer, but mainly for, uh, for the backend, uh, because then you have more control of what's going on. That said, you can also use it for mobile apps, um, for websites, but then, yeah, I think you will have to use the JavaScript and I don't know the implications of that. But mm. from a backend perspective, it's really easy to set it up and to get it running if you're not uh, satisfied with the default configuration, because like the comment mentioned, it's pretty chatty. Mm -hmm. You can remove the, the built-in telemetry initializers and such and do it all yourself with the SDK. So is the built-in stuff basically like uh, pro method profiling? It's just intercepting every method call inside of a, a given assembly? Well, it, it depends on, on the ones you add. So right. what they have is if you in the past just, just did a, a trace like you have in .NET, mm -hmm. they intercept those and treat it as a trace in application insights. But they also provide other things like extracting uh, the machine name and added to adding it to all the traces. Nice. So that you have the, the more context of in which the the platform is running. Yeah, that, and that's mm. important, right? Just like the commenter it, it was mentioning was this issue of I'm getting information on the front end through SignalR. I need to know how which calls that information invoked in Entity Framework on the back end. Exactly. So tr tracing things is important, mm -hmm. but tracing things with uh, 
with more context of the situation is even better because then you can correlate issues with the traces and see what the problem is. Right. And, me- and going back to the tra- to the types of traces, um, there are two other interesting ones. So there, there is a concept of a custom event, mm-hmm. which you can use to say, okay, this event occurred, which can be used for, for business monitoring. Let's say an order was created. Then you can uh, use a custom event. But my most favorite one is the dependency uh, telemetry one. And like the comments mentioned, this one enables you to create this complete dependency map where you can see, hey, I have an API. I'm using Azure Storage. I'm using SQL database, uh, external APIs. And they all give you a nice overview of what are the durations of all the calls? What's the failure percent percentage? Mm. And it's also integrated with the uh, with the advisors of the other resources. So, like Azure SQL Database has the concept of database advisors. If there are recommendations, it's also mentioned in the uh, dependency map, so that you know that okay, we have a recommendation. It's an index. We have a slow call. This is the issue. If I add the index, my performance will go up. Wow. Because it's because it's always the database, right? Yep. You're always gonna blame <laughs> exactly. the database for everything. Always the database. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. This database yeah. guy says it's not always the database. Sometimes it's your crappy, crappy, crappy data. Dude, your uh, DBA is showing. Yeah, it's a, no, it's it's sticking out all over the place. I can't even comb over it now. <laughs> well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to trace the last joke I told with a custom event to see why nobody laughed. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually time to give away a music to code by complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And in case you've been sleeping under a rock, Music to Code By is a set of 25-minute Pomodoro-sized, quiet and groovy instrumentals, scientifically designed to promote focus. It'll get you into a state of flow and keep you there. .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code By. And you know what? It's not just .NET Rocks fans. We're finding uh, people who just need help doing homework, studying, reading. I have two customers with uh, autistic children that, that... this is the only thing that works to help them calm down and get to sleep at night. I find that really interesting. It's pretty amazing. It's very cool. And now you can download the entire 13-track collection for only $39. See what all the fuss is about. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Stefan Enoxon. Congratulations, Stefan. Golf clap for you, sir. Hey, you don't have clappers. You're not in your studio. I do not have clappers. You are actually oh, golf oh, clapping. Do I have any in my bag? Let me see. <laughs> Did you I might actually, actually clappers? Hang on a second. Hang on. Let me look. <laughs> Let me see if I got them. Oh, Come no. on, clappers. Where are you? I actually think I have a pair in here. The bag of doom. Oh, man. No, I don't think so. Well, they are awfully heavy to carry around. Yeah, it's true. They are. <laughs> <laughs> they weigh at least an ounce. At least an ounce. <laughs> Well, anyway, uh, if you don't know what we did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December, 
we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And, uh, and it's your turn now, Tom. Uh, again, you know, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember what you said last time, but you're, you know, with CES and everything, maybe your shopping habits have changed. If you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? <laughs> it's a very hard question. Um, there are a lot of books that I want to read. Um, I'm, I just finished reading one from Zoyner about mastering uh, Azure Analytics, but I think uh, I, I'd like to spend the money on giving back to the to the community, to the open source community. Oh, great! Um, there are a lot of libraries out there. For example, Poly oh, that yeah. we use every day. Um, but it would be nice to give back and pay for some subscriptions like uh, MyGet or AppFair or something to help them uh, keep going and support them and give them a nice uh, evening off and buy some drinks for them. Oh, well, That's I happen cool, to know where you could direct that money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the, the team, uh, the poly team, and it, there's only a few people that are – that are uh, working on it. Um, they're just awesome. Uh, yeah. Joel Hewlin and, that's, and uh, they Dylan. They should be rewarded in, in some way and enjoy evening off and use the money to, I don't know, enjoy a movie or go for dinner or whatever. Mm. That's a great idea. Now, uh, Richard, how do we make sure that he wins? Uh, <laughs> <December>? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 we could sing the praises of Joe Hewlin some more. Sure, uh, he and Dylan fixed, Reisenberger as well. Uh, yeah, because Joel just fixed my Run As Radio site. My subscribe uh, button for the mailing list got spammed by a couple of spammers, and I think within an hour, I, I mentioned to Joel, it's like I think I have to figure out how to put captcha on this just to cut back this spam. Within an hour, it was done. Yeah, just like Joel's <laughs> awesome. He's this the big old pile of amazing. Yep. So. Um, so yeah. let's talk instrumentation because do you know the one other instrumentation pack that Microsoft has that we really haven't mentioned is Hockey App. I love Hockey App. You, but it's really focused on mobile. Do you deal with this at all, Tom? No, unfortunately you're, not. You're but Hockey App free. Question. For those who don't know what Hockey App is, it's a way that you can push your builds of uh, mobile native mobile apps. Or, or hybrid mobile apps, for that matter, which are essentially native, to uh, your customers as you do a build. And instead of having to, you know, which it's it'd be crazy to have to go through the app store for every build and uh, <laughs> of, of a, you know, while you're in development. So that's this is essentially what it does. Pushes it out to your customers. They try it. They check it out. Give you feedback. And you can keep that tight cycle going. It would be interesting to know how they do the crash reports and the user metrics. Maybe yep. they use application insights behind the scenes or something similar. Yeah, it's a good question. There was a big stink around this back uh, the Connect 2015 timeframe where they announced, hey, we're going to sunset insights and use Hockey App for everything. Um, that did not happen. Uh, mm. I, I suspect the scream was loud enough that it made it all the way to Redmond. <laughs> and uh, and so Insights is still doing its thing, but uh, there was a moment there where it's like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. 
But in the past, Application Insights used to be called uh, Visual Studio Application Insights. Right. And then they they moved it to Azure. So maybe that was the same time frame. And they want so, to... So one more time before we move on, difference between Azure Insights and Application Insights, just in case anyone missed it in the first half of the show. Well, that's a good question because uh, it's a confusing name. Azure yeah. Insights really gives you insights on Azure itself. So it's one general metrics platform, let's say, for Azure, where every resource has uh, a certain set of metrics um, where you can configure alerts based on those metrics, has audit logs, etc. So that's across Azure. And then Azure Application Insights is a, a service specifically for monitoring that you can use to monitor your application. So not other resources. That said, the metrics that Application Insights generate by you can also be used to create alerts on, to visualize, to yeah, use the same functionality that Azure Insights has. And when I go looking for Azure Insights, it, it looks like it's disappeared. It's only Application Insights now. Did they they just renamed it Azure Monitor? Uh, yeah, that, that's also possible. Yeah, because it's so, such a bad name. Like, don't do that. You make yourself yeah. crazy. Exactly. So, and that's the central hub you nowadays have that resembles all the all the Azure specific metrics. Nice. So it, may, it makes sense because App App Insights is very much .NET centric. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, Azure does a lot more I than think, that. I think you can use app application insights for other platforms as well. Okay. But I'm not sure. I didn't use that before. Right. Well, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it sure looks like they've named it Azure Monitor just to get it away from yeah. the, uh, You're right. the same product, right. the, the conflicting product names. But then that's a good right. thing because, uh, you know. I prefer to be less confused, not more confused. So in Application Insights, under that hat, uh, we were talking about the different types of traces and and analytics and and getting into uh, uh, some other features. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned analytics, which is very interesting. Uh, Besides having a view of all the traces coming in, you can run some analytics on top of your traces as well, where you can use a, okay. a SQL-like language to run uh, queries on top of all your metrics. So you can do groupings, uh, filterings, all these kinds of crazy stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And it's built on what's used to called Custo that is used internally by Microsoft, I think. Oh. It's really powerful. Yeah. That's cool. And then mm-hmm. next to that, um, you also have uh, the web tests if you're building websites or APIs. And uh, there you can define certain criteria that will call your website on a regular basis Yeah. Uh, to measure the availability of your uh, web app, which is also important. And you can do that from a variety of locations across the globe. So you can also see what the latency is in different uh continents of the globe let's say you onboard the new customer you know okay they're from europe then we need to have an additional deployment in europe otherwise we can't guarantee response times of x milliseconds yeah yeah 
And then, last but not least, uh, well, there's more than this, but an important one is continuous export. Why? Because the telemetry and application insights is not stored forever. For telemetry, that's not always a problem, except when you use it for auditing. If you include auditing um, telemetry, then you need to export your traces, and that can be done to Azure Blob Storage. Okay. So then all your traces are stored on Blob Storage, and you can even integrate it with other things like Power BI and visualize your custom events. And how long uh, are they stored if you don't push them to Blob? I think the max is uh, 90 days nowadays. Okay. So it's a fairly long period, but in certain scenarios like auditing, you need to store them for longer than 90 days. Well, my cynical security IT guy hat says half the time we don't detect intrusions in 90 days or failures in 90 days. So, ah. you know, you really, you know, to only have a 90 day window and then find out, hey, six months ago we got broken into through this exploit in this app. How long has this been going on? And you don't have the log files. You know, that's exactly there's lots of reasons to hang on for stuff longer. How tricky is it to dump to blob? Is it literally like just a set of settings and it pushes it up? As easy as you mentioned, you just go to the portal, enable the feature, select the storage account and application insights will output it for you. That said, you need to have the enterprise pricing plan and not the basic pricing Uh, pricing plan. But that's what it takes to be a responsible application, too. So it's hard to be too upset about that. Uh, Exactly. And then it's up to you to maintain just how much uh, log file you really do want to keep. Like, if you keep them forever, that's going to become a lot. Yeah, exactly. So don't forget to clean it up. And that's a good tip. Are, Are there any more tips that you can give us for, uh, you know, for generally? succeeding with uh, App Insights? Sure. Um, The obvious one, use correlation IDs to correlate your telemetry. Uh, And a good correlation ID is use the request ID if you're building a web API so that if you have an exception, you can correlate it back to all the traces and all the related information you provided Hmm. and provide as much context as you can in your telemetry so that you know what's going on. Um, Another one is, like I mentioned at the beginning, treat monitoring as a first class, let's call it feature, and do it from the beginning so that you can um, always keep it in the back of your head that you have enough information if something goes wrong. But it can be pretty intensive, but it's definitely worth it in the long run. Okay. If you configure uh, alerts, there are two options. Send them over mail or call a webhook. I'd say use a webhook and you can even use a logic app that acts as a webhook and then you have the flexibility of doing whatever you want by just changing the logic app. What we have at the customer, for example, is we have all our alerts calling one logic app and that logic app now posts to Slack. But if we suddenly say, okay, we want to have a text message, we just switch to using Twilio and it's done. We don't have to change all the alerts individually. Ah, yeah. Okay. It's really nice. That's cool. 
And um, uh, another and he- one is measure your cues, which is often forgotten because you need to be aware that is our system uh, able to keep up with the messages on the queues or is it about to explode or are we overscaling? Right. So it's ah. good to know how, how the queues are handling it. Now, I would think that's something that, you know, Azure would tell me if my queues weren't big enough or if they were, you know, reaching capacity. Does that happen? Are there any alerts that are just built in or do you actually have to watch them yourself? Uh, Azure Service Bus uh, currently doesn't have any uh, metrics because it only recently switched to the portal. But what you oh. can do is measure them yourself. There's a in the SDK there are operations available. You use application insights to track the metric, and then you can create an alert on your own metric. Okay. But of course, in the future they will have their own metric. Once it's there, you can create an alert on it and then um, integrate it with your monitoring infrastructure. But if you don't do it, a service bus will just throttle you because the queue has a certain size limit. For example, if you're exceeding that, they will throttle you. And it's something you want to avoid. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because the correct correct size of a queue is is empty, right? Like in theory, you you want stuff yeah. to go into the queue and then just immediately go on. You really yeah, want to watch exactly. closely when stuff starts to back up. I mean, that being said, queues are there to tolerate sort of burst traffic, so they fill up and then they drain down. It's right. when they yeah. never drain down. Like how many seconds to zero in my mind has always been the gauge for a healthy system. You know, and it also seems like a queue is something that with just a little logic could scale up. In other words, if if uh, some code that is just watching the queue says, oh, I noticed that we're almost full here. Hey, maybe we should bump up the memory storage a little bit or whatever it is. That yeah, it's, it's the measurement for we have a backlog of work. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I wouldn't go after measuring the size of the queue. I've always gone after how many seconds has there been items in the queue? Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So yeah. as soon or, as it's or like... The to- or the total message size, uh, the message count, sorry. Right. Yeah. right. The problem is that messages could vary, like they're harder or they're easier and so forth. I'm watching for, have we gotten to a work, if 10 seconds have gone by and we can't empty the queue, something's wrong. Right. Right? Like that's the point where it's like, do we light up another instance of things pulling stuff off the queue? You do, You just, you raise a warning at that point yeah. and say, okay... Yeah, yeah. You know, because one of the things that happens, and I've seen this, is you get a bad message, you jam the queue. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So this, this message keeps getting pushed back as it fails and it, it blocks the queue, essentially. You don't have what uh, a dead message mechanism that goes, hey, we've tried this one three times. We can't seem to handle it. So get it out of the way and do the other ones. Like, there's lots of exactly. stuff that can go on in yep. message queues. But the message queues should be going to zero routinely. And in yeah. my mind, it's like every few, within a second, they should be empty. Yeah. yeah. Just having, just creating the awareness of seeing them evolve over time by having a graph is already a good start. So sure. that you see, uh, are we bursting the queue and is it being drained or is the queue just growing and growing and growing? And do we need to revise our auto scaling strategy, for example? Yeah. That's a good start. Are we in, yeah. are we in a death spiral? You have a backlog yeah. so big 
that and you have some central point of focus, right? The database is pinned. Mm. These queries are this big, and you you can't scale that, right? It's just now that queue is going to grow infinitely. And mm-hmm. in some systems I've seen, you know, the queue bur the, the queue you hit a queue limit, and it just starts blocking on the other end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, a couple more. The obvious one as well, don't log any secrets because uh, then they end up in your telemetry and we don't want that. <laughs> Passwords uh, yeah. and log files, bad. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Ask me how I know. No, yes. I never did that actually. But it's, it's sad we need to say it, but it's true. Yep. This thing, these things happen. Yeah, yep. unfortunately. Well, you know where it shows up is when you've been passing SQL statements in the query string. Yeah. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> right. Um, I would also and recommend... If you're going to use passwords, um, hash them for crypts sake. Don't, don't do it. Just don't do it. Stop it. And then two last ones is find a good balance for your telemetry. Pro- provide enough insights, but don't drown yourself in the telemetry like the comment also mentioned. Don't make it don't make yourself flooding with uh, with telemetry because otherwise it's no use. And mm. then the last one, learn from your platform and adapt. Like we have the measuring of queues. Also monitor your auto-scaling. Use a similar approach like with the alerts. Know when you are scaling up and scaling down to detect bad scaling um, breakpoints. Make sure you monitor your auto-scaling as well mm-hmm. so you know when it's scaling okay. up and scaling down so you know that your scaling criteria is valid or that you have an issue and your cloud services, for example, just keep on spinning up and spinning up infinitely. Right. You don't want to find that out at the end of the month when you get the bill. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. You, have to, you, you need to create that awareness around your infrastructure as well. Absolutely. So who should you be showing this telemetry data to? Like, is there some kind of reporting that should be done internally to the company when you see this stuff? Well, actually, it's a a good question. For starters, it's certainly for developers. But like I mentioned, these custom events can be used to report to the business people as well. Right. Um, Not directly by giving them, them access to the Azure portal, because we don't want the business guys looking into resources and accidentally oops deleted the web app sorry guys <laughs> we, yeah. we, we don't want that so what you can do is continuously export all your um, custom events or all your telemetry just use stream analytics to transform the data put it in power bi and make them some nice graphs hmm. uh, and it's actually a, a really nicely documented scenario on how you can set this pipeline up and use the custom events for reporting. i tell you, one of the things I used to do in the old days before the, all this technology existed and we consolidated the log files was a report on the utilization of new features. You know, I started looking at it because I was always worried and only because I got burned by this, that a new feature was being used in a way we didn't expect that ultimately killed the system. And so, you know, it was always good to deploy the feature and then over the, the next week or two, you watch that feature's logs, just what's going on. But then when I spun that into a report and say, hey, we rolled out this feature. Here's how many people are using it. This is what they're doing with it. Like those were really well received 
People get excited yeah. that, you know, that the new feature, because not everybody uses a feature. And typically the new feature that you build is not one that the boss uses. So he doesn't mm. know that the, that this new feature is being utilized or that people really love it. Or it's, you know, the adoption is larger than expected. And so mm-hmm. just being able to surface that information and especially to have some automation around this, it, it's powerful. It like, gives people a sense that, you know, we're going somewhere. It's not just random behavior. We're building these features. We had a plan. We're looking at how it's executed. And, and hey, it also says something when you ship a feature that nobody uses. That's certainly possible. You can use the, the variety of, of telemetry types to do this, where a, a metric would be an interesting one to measure how many people use this and then correlate it with the total amount of users that were using your platform. And then you can just measure what's the the average that used it. Tom, one thing we didn't talk about is uh, how much does this service cost? <laughs> it depends how much you send. Right. Yeah. So it's usage based. Yeah, it's usage based. So there are two plans. Um and depending on the features you want. So for example, uh, the continuous export was a paid one and uh, only for enterprises. Integration with OMS is only for enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um but basically you pay for the data you send. And the more you send, the more you pay. Right. It's as simple as that, but yeah. yeah. It's also a downside because if you want to and have traces and have your exceptions and do metrics, et cetera, et cetera, it can become expensive. Okay. But one thing you can do to tackle that is, for example, if you want to have, if you use dependencies to measure how long your database calls are taking, just feature toggle them. Yeah. Um, just uh, disable them by default. If you, for example, in production, put it off by default. If there's an issue or you have a suspicion there are issues, just enable it. It mm. will start sending the data. If you have enough information, disable it. Yeah. And that's it. Okay. Uh, Tom, is there anything else that we missed before we let you go? Well, we could keep on talking for it for a while, but I think the the most important thing people should know is just use the, the tools that are there. So Azure Monitor, Azure Application Insights, NOMS for the IT guys, and have a look at it at the start from your project and start building it as soon as possible. Mm. That's great. Tom Kirkova, thank you very much for spending this time with us. It's been great. Thank you for having me. You bet. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, 
recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a